Yeah, it, when you're falling asleep to QAnon Anonymous uh, bonus Patreon episodes, you reach the point that like you're more brain poisoned than they are. So that was around the time that I turned this out. Hello, dear friends, and welcome to Oh Shit Vampires, the Exquisite Corpse novella and podcast. I'm Clint Gage. I'm Evan Gaustet. And we are collectively known as Clint Gage and Evan Gaustet. When it's the two of us together. Yeah, yeah. When the pair of us go out a-walkin', that's what people say. (laughs) You know? We think. It's never happened. We think. It's never happened. Yeah, we're in two different states at the moment. But But the point is, um, I'm feeling so good about uh, grasping the concept of this the whole endeavor. It's yeah. I'm, I'm cracking wise about us taking walks. Yeah, That's how I mean, comfortable to, I am. We had to go for a long walk after that last chapter, as we prayed that the book would come back to earth, even even as yeah. much as we loved what the gift that Rob Kirkovich gave us. Well, for me, it was two long walks. One, I had to cool down. Yep. Frankly, I was so mad uh-huh. at Kirkovich, mm-hmm. uh, so I took a long walk to to just kind of take take a breath. Yep. Um, and then the second walk was, as you say, to to uh, a lot of a lot of prayer. <laughs> Just hoping that we can get our book back on track yeah. after a, a letter to Agatha from seventeen what seventy three or something. It's hard to remember. There's a yeah. If we were good at history, we'd know. But look, this is a book I, about the present, and so we don't have to know. Yeah, the theoretically, past. I ought to be able to pull the date of the uh, Boston Tea Party just straight off the top of my head. Seventeen eighty nine. No, no, that can't. Be no, right. no, no, I can't be right. Because seventeen seventy six is one that I actually do remember. Seventeen seventy three. Uh, the point is, we shouldn't argue about this in front of our guest. Um, Great point. So, because it's all we have him to thank for. Yes, salvaging this entire story. Get us so, back on the rails. Let's let's say thanks, Brock Wilbur. Thanks and welcome to this podcast. You are recording it, right? We oh are. yeah. Yes. Okay. Can Just confirm. I see. Can, yeah. I see lots of levels bouncing, and I see time codes are moving. So That's we're, we're going. And if we aren't recording it, this joke will never be heard uh, about our incompetence. So right. either way, no, um, fair enough. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, we uh, uh, it I we hadn't worked together in so many years, but you you um, took the call to write a chapter in this exquisite corpse. Project, which actually the first Exquisite Corpse, maybe the only other one I did, was was a project of yours, Brock, which was, I think, done properly. You did a big Exquisite Corpse operation. It was, in um, fact, named Exquisite Corpse because that's what I had. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we haven't worked together in years, but you know me. I'll show up for anything Clint asks me to do. Exactly. Yeah, which which is why I made him send the email. But right. um we uh, we appreciate it. Um, Clint, do you want to ask the most important question? Yeah, like it's the, the single most important question that we'll get to. And, and, you know, if you're listening to this, you could probably just check right out after he answers it. It's that important. Um, did you have fun? Yeah, I had a fun time. Oh, cool. Fun little prompt. Fun little, hey. fun little <laughs> jaunt about Word Town. Hey, welcome to Word Town. Word Town. Um, I think we really just we have to we have to talk about the chapter that came before your chapter. Um, and uh, Rob Kirkovich uh, did no one any favors. He cheated. He didn't help. He ruined the book. 
um, in a delightful way. Right. But how did you, um, were you mad reading a chapter that came before yours that had nothing to do with the plot that we were trying to progress? Did that, was that frustrating or was that fun? I, I'm, I mean, I, I read that and didn't know what came before it. So I didn't right, know right. that we had left the rails. So I just worked with the rail I was handed. So no, no frustration on my end. Plus left off with the start of a road trip. I mean, it's hard to, hard to fuck that one up. It's a pretty easy line in to do whatever I want. And my road trip being like, what if we did a stop that was separate from the narrative entirely? And then just got back on a road trip as a gift to the next person. It's, it was fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, was funny with you knowing zero things about the book other than the chapter that deviated and went back in time. Um, you got, you just stepped right in line with all of the other authors. That's pretty much everything that had been happening um, in the, in the chapters before yours. I didn't know um, that I corrected the flight plan, but okay. Yeah. That's, that's the most yeah. fascinating thing about your chapter actually is, is like, uh, and, and, and this whole exercise because nobody really knew anything. What was, what was happening outside of what happened immediately before them. But uh, Kirkovich's chapter is, is just bonkers. <laughs> he completely disregarded all of our instructions, uh, which is fine and hilarious, and it wound up being great. But then also it gave you just a, a letter from the 1700s in the middle of a mm -hmm. book where nothing else is like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which I – so that was my – reading your chapter two, it struck me that your, your chapter is like you use direct address a lot. Like it's, it's the main character talking directly to the reader in, in kind of a fun way that not many other people do. And I was wondering if reading a letter, cause like a part of me wonders, it's like, were you close to writing a letter back to Kirkovich's? <laughs> like, were you like, well, maybe that's what this book is about. Well, no, I think I understood that uh, on the most basic level, I wanted to leave where that was. So certainly you <laughs> must have as well. No, I was not about to start a, a pen pal ship. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. With the previous chapter. <laughs> I would never do to somebody else what was done to me. So That's right. mostly what we wanted to have you say. That, Great. That yeah. No one would, no one, everyone's better than Rob. Um, <laughs> you were given, you were given combos, essentially. Actually, let's, let's read that. The first line of your chapter that was handed to you. For some reason, combos only taste good when you're on a road trip. Um, so, Yeah. How your personal take on combos? Yeah, Did you what's really your, care to talk what's about your, your real world take on combos? Uh, they only taste good on road trips. It's okay. yeah, yeah. It's it's Except. good to know that Kirkovich he he a couple He's of chapters accurate. yeah a couple of chapters yeah. worth of people very much clearly agree with with his take on uh, on combos. So yeah, good to know he's not when, just full of it. Well, can we can we dive in? Because there's a real there's fun stuff that happens in Brock's chapter, and I want us to listen to it. Yeah. Uh, before we talk about it, here we go, chapter ten of Oshit Vampires. For some reason, combos only taste good when you're on a road trip. 
we're all in agreement on this, I think. If you doubt the substance of the claim, I challenge you to head down the street to Quick Trip. Pick up a bag of some nacho-slash-pizza-slash-pretzel baggie and consume it within your domicile. I promise your taste buds will reject it. But 200-plus miles into any journey, combos will activate every pleasure center in your brain at the same time. Hell, I've already won the argument. Can you remember a time you ever ate combos when you weren't in a car, in motion? It would be somehow ethically, morally incorrect. There is a time and a place for everything. This includes what goes into your mouth and when it goes into your mouth. That brings us back to vampires. I think you see where I'm going. Minneapolis is one of those places I've always championed internally from a distance. Like many non-coastal meccas, it's entirely random where you might fall in your relationship to it. I don't know why, but I always imagined that the city and I would just vibe on some level. In theory, I believe that the folks of the metro would enjoy my company. I have made an appointment with bad company. I'll have to explore the Windy City on a later trip. I know it's not called that. I am testing you, and you have passed. Silas is also testing me. He's reading off navigation directions, even though the phone GPS voice narration is turned on. Turn left, says an androgynous voice. Turn left. No, up there, echoes a slightly less androgynous but triply annoying voice. He's being weird, and yes, I'm aware. We're beyond the point where you weird works as an effective descriptor. Perhaps extra sums it up better. This is a relationship he's taken great pains to cultivate over a long period of time. He doesn't want to be the one to fuck it up, and that's why the responsibility of the non-fucking-upping has fallen onto me. I'm not thrilled, but anything to move this along. He pulls up in front of the bar. I exit the car. The car exits the street. He doesn't want to be seen, just in case. I'm not sure of for what. What's the situation where something bad happens to me, but he needs to stay friends with her? But that's Silas. There we are. And that's Elise. I've entered the bar, and I can immediately tell which one she is, on account of being the only other sentient being in sight, I realize that I'm standing in the doorway, light flooding in, albeit not directly at her. The rest of the place has heavy tinting on the... Nope, nope, sorry, those windows have been completely bricked up. Never mind. She's certainly safe in her spot at the end, but I also don't wish to make a rude first impression, so I finish my entering process. Uh, the door fully shuts and my eyes start to adjust. She seems closer than before, uh, by at least a few spots. My eyes playing tricks on me, etc., etc., I'm sure. So, that's all I get by the way of invitation. Vampires require such elaborate invitation rules to enter their space. They seem unconcerned with returning the formality. So, is the come-hither of the Nightwalker. I pull up next to her with a healthy seat skipped between. Here. She offers hastily. She pushes a glass of whiskey my way with a very, very healthy pour. Oh, I, I can get my own, I offer. Nah, Elise says. I couldn't drink it anyway. I just poured it to enjoy the smell while I waited. So, how's your day treating you? I ice break after an uncomfortable silence. She keeps scrolling her phone. Typing quickly, clearly toggling things with her finger. She's not doing that social media scroll that your teen cousin pulls at a family event where they want nothing to do with their surroundings. I fill the time by supping from her cup and now from my cup. I notice that she looks terrible. You look terrible, I convey. This is almost just to check to see if she's listening to me. 
I don't drink blood anymore. It's a trap. They're conning all of us. Okay, so she is listening. I'm not sure what that answer means. Her phone goes dark, as does the conversation. Now it's my turn to listen. The details of what flows from Elisa's mouth are, uh, I'm going to say, difficult to transcribe. Or rather, processing is neither easy nor necessary. Silver bullet points are most of what I retain, but I know the conspiracy formula. I just didn't know how far down the rabbit hole one needs to go before they're forever safe from the light. Elise doesn't believe that she is a vampire, despite knowing that she is a vampire. She accepts the major events that led her to this point, but thinks that the public perception, and her own, have been so twisted by mysterious, crooked elements that she can't even trust herself. What she can trust is Vianon a community of self-described blood brothers who think that they've been infected with a government-crafted flu pathogen. They're still, you know, human, just going through some shit. Elise is convinced the symptoms of the quote-unquote Transylvania flu wear off over time, so long as those infected don't drink blood. She's been pushing the limits of trying to see how quickly she can recover. I put my hand into a little bit more sun each day, Elise says. I'm building back up the antibodies to overcome this. It's just a huge ploy from the powers that be to keep us trapped inside. I note that her hand looks more like warmed over shit than the rest of her. And and that also looks generally like warmed over shit. Each time I try to inject a question related to our purpose in meeting today, I realize that I'm only at the next checkpoint in a path she's leading me across. I'm not getting out of here before I get the full truth. And that's when I noticed I've finished my drink. Seeing no one to help with my plight, I lean over the bar to grab a bottle. The bartender is dead on the ground. Ope. I make a small gasp, but it barely phases Elise. I just broke his neck. I didn't drink from him. Elise comforts me with this knowledge. Okay, I eek. That's good. I grab the bottle and refill my glass. I hold it up directly under my nose for extended periods while sipping to help mask the newly recognized Cope's hors from three feet away. <laughs> Elise opines on how good the senator in question isn't really a vampire. He's a... Psyop to make normal people think that getting this T-flu is just an acceptable thing. To not rise up and take back the government after they unleashed it upon the population. To not be cattle, and to, I suppose, not be the kind of sheep that eat other sheep. Eh. I do get in a few questions about why the senator would be creating something of a constitutional crisis slash national panic, but those aren't the questions she wants to answer. What you don't know is what you don't know. Until you know, she says. I finally put together what the rest of the conspiracy hashtag W-U-D-K-I-W-U-D-K-U-U-K that I've seen trending is short uh, for. And I know who sent you, Eliza interjects in her own sentence. The tone has certainly turned. I know that you do, I answer. He's your friend, right? Elise informs me that, matter-of-factly, indeed, once she thought of Silas as a former soldier, but began to suspect that he was merely from another deep state agency monitoring her activities. After a long ramble of things that, uh, to be honest, really overestimate Silas and his capabilities, sorry, Sai, she continues that she's right, as evidenced by the fact that I was sent in his place. I don't have the best of comebacks here, especially since I can't fully explain why I'm here 
alone either. Was this what Silas was hoping to have happen? Uh, just poke the bear and see what she's capable of. She talks. Uh, she talks. God, she keeps talking, and an hour in, I'm positive that none of this has any basis in reality. I knew that from minute five, but I'm also not going to try to leave when she has the strength to tear my limbs off and beat me to death with them. And that's why I can prove you're lying, she shouts at me, suddenly directly in my face. I had sort of trailed off there for a bit internally. I wasn't sure what I was being accused of. She grabs my arm. Oh, God, she's going to tear it off and beat me to death with it. Oh, no, 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 no. She drags me to the front door. I fight back, but not exceptionally hard. I mean, I wouldn't win. Also, I suspect she might be throwing me out like a messy drunk. That would be fine. I am tipsy, and this is messy, and hmm. Here's how I know that you're a vampire sent by the council to stop me, she hisses. Her eyes are burning with rage. She grabs the front door handle. Eh? I stammer. Silence, she commands. I've overcome this. I've beat this trick of a disease. I'm fucking smarter and stronger and better you, than you because I can see the truth. And you, you, you've, you've been blinded by complacency. That's why I'm going to walk out of here a free woman. And you... You've met your bitter end, bitch. Cackling, Elise pulls open the door and light floods and bathes both of us in its warmth. She turns to watch me, the, um, assumed secret spy vamp, explode after being exposed. That's what we're looking for. There's a moment where her glee suddenly fades into confusion, and then... Dust everywhere. The door, no longer propped open by a hand, begins to slowly close. I follow its advice and slowly move back out to the street. Silas is in the car, waiting up the street. He begins driving towards me cautiously. You know, she didn't have to call me a bitch. This is an aside. This is an aside. Like, you don't... The language... Mm, eh. Also, to be clear, if she'd looked up from her phone, she would have seen me walk in, having a normal, like, chill time in the sunlight. How did she think I got there? It doesn't. The car door opens. Productive? Silas asks. I can't tell if he seems hopeful or is slightly bemused, as if he suspected how this might go. Waste my fucking time. I mutter. I say it again louder because I no longer feel the need to mutter things when I know that I am right. Silas. What a goddamn shit show. What a pitch-perfect finale for Elise. I prod Silas into agreeing. He's irked, though. I wonder if it's because of the previous friendship, or because he knows that vampires are equally prone to being self-destructory, as dumbfoundingly stupid as any human. We guide the car back onto the highway, and the highway opens itself to our next phase. I sneeze, and I'm fairly certain it was a bit of Elise dust I inhaled earlier. I sneeze again so hard that I have a bloody nose. Ironic. I suppose. Ugh. I open a bag of combos to get the taste of vampire out of my throat. Buffalo flavor should cleanse the palate nicely. Or at least effectively, I hope. Ugh. Um. So... You you killed her, <laughs> which was it's almost like it's like we had this character that that maybe could be useful, but also seeing a seeing somebody in her state of mind die the way she died is is too good to pass up. So, um, 
I I want to be mad, but I can't be. Um, and I appreciate I appreciate what you did. Did you have fun? You, you really did wanted you? to spend more time with that character, I think. With Elise the vampire, yeah. Uh, v v in, and on and on are pretty one note things anyway, like, <laughs> and and they deserve to then pass away. Right. So <laughs> they, yeah, yeah, it's they shout until they they're explode. They're only funny to a point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. It couldn't go on too long, but coming along for the road trip. You know, I guess I guess she would have had to die anyway, right? There was no, no. there was no way for her to survive. Yeah, you did what you had to do. I did. Was it so? I've <laughs> and, and clearly no regrets. Um, the, uh, I mean, the Vietnam QAnon part of it all. Like, I mean, when you did you is that just? I mean, obviously, it's something that you wanted to make fun of with Elise or to, to highlight with Elise. Was there anybody in particular that that Elise was sort of not asking you to like? Yeah, it's my sister or anything, but <laughs> like, I mean, just that model of person out there that you wanted to specifically to explode. Uh, I, I mean, I sunk, I sunk way too many hours into various uh, QAnon uh, journalism things and QAnon tracking podcasts and so on and so forth. I, it, back back when it was funny and weird and people didn't really know or believe that it existed uh so like for six months i had uh i had a calendar a, a thing in the google calendar my wife and i share um that said uh it was for january 6th of the upcoming year and it said hang mike pence question <laughs> mark uh and so like that sort of thing was was in my brain for a very very long time uh and at some point, I was like, like the day of, I was like, got to delete that from my Google calendar because it looks like I'm part of the team. Quick, before uh, there's a record. So, <laughs> yeah, it, when you're falling asleep to QAnon Anonymous uh, bonus Patreon episodes, you've reached a point that like you're more brain poisoned than they are. So that was around the time that I turned this out. I was just like, look, it, it's the exact same thing. So yeah. here we go. <laughs> No, that was great. Beautiful. It was really handy timing too. I mean, I mean, that's so much of the stuff that we wanted to do with with. Well, it was reason handy timing what it was written, and then by the time it came out, it's it's so much less fun. Right, right. Yeah, that's been our whole problem: is that the book has uh, or the theme has stayed relevant while becoming just less and less fun and more uh, more saddening. I mean, that's the problem with satire from an entire four or five years. Like, it just keeps going sour yeah. yeah it just keeps being just real it's like oh no 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 it's actually the running man now we can't watch the running man anymore <laughs> because it's the running man now <laughs> got to got to show that to my wife and some friends for the first time a few oh. weeks ago and they were like what what is this yeah. this is not what i saw in my head and i'm like it's not what anyone saw in their head least of all richard bachman <laughs> <laughs> that that fake stephen king um yes yeah that it's it's weird because it's, that's that's one of those it's movies very that I wonderful that like King invented Richard Bachman to prove to himself that like his writing would be good without his name and J.K. Rowling did the same thing and within a week of the release of her book, her publisher was out there screaming like it's right. J.K. Rowling, it's JK Rowling. Like, no one's fucking buying this cuckoo book, <laughs> no one cares. 
yeah, that is a movie that I wish I could see again for the first time. But also to your point, I'd probably watch it again and be like, oh, no, see, this is this is just gross. What is the running man? Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah. Oh, it's it, it aged well. Yes. Well, he's been doing cardio for so long. Like, you uh, yeah, blood pressure is 110 over 70. Like that man's in shape. Exactly. <laughs> he's got a few little joint problems, but nothing, to, nothing to brace can't can't fix. No, um, <laughs> so what did you have anything did you plant any seeds in here that you were just hoping somebody would pick up and run with uh i mean i, I understood what the amount of writing some one person was gonna get so uh, no <laughs> no i think you you contained it real you put a bow on it um which uh, leads to the sentence that you dropped, which I'll read out loud for our next author who you didn't know. Um, <clears throat> of all the possible problems across all the possible universes, this was certainly the complication least likely to occur. I got to imagine you had just no intention for that other than setting up uh, a massive boulder to push for the next author, right? I mean, that's about as open-ended as something can be yeah Uh oh oh shit what's this like it's there are no specifics like you know uh a very hard stance on the nature of combos snack food that, yeah that well, one feels like less of a kind gesture to the next author a little more well, a this, little more of an open uh, a little more of a blank page there than, right. it's very it's very blank combos. but it was also it was also the first because uh, everybody else, I think, didn't want to in in being like kind of pussyfooting around it. Nobody wanted to be too specific. And so it was like about combos. And so it was something specific, but pointless um, in every other chapter, whereas yours was vague, but monumental. Um, yeah, it and it was... made it so that she had to think of she had to connect some heavy dots. Yeah, it was it was super vague, but also like there's there's some pressure to live up to it all of the problems in all of the universes like sure, that's, I, I do that's a lot now. okay <laughs> i i do no. i do appreciate you establishing the multiverse though in uh in in our book kirk. that was someone had to yeah it was about time <laughs> kirk kirkovich did a piss poor job of doing the multiverse <laughs> that's he probably what he was trying to do boring time trip yeah <laughs> but it it ended up being super useful and uh and look buddy your your chapter did a great job of uh getting us back on the existing rails yep. away from the weird ones and, uh, and putting, uh, you know, killing a character. It was our, it was our second or th third death, but this one was much more explosive. And not and, not uh, only creating a new character, but also killing that character off in, in short order. You mm -hmm. asked for a corpse from me. Yeah. I, I don't understand what else. <laughs> one would. For sure. You'll be, uh, you'll be happy to know, um, and if everybody's keeping up with the book on the podcast, you'll find out soon enough too. But uh, but Elise does stick around in a way gotcha. later mm -hmm. later on in the book in a, mm -hmm. in a super weird fun way. So yeah, so you didn't you didn't get rid of her completely. No, <laughs> did your best. Um, anything to plug, man? Anything that uh, you want to tell the the vampire people about yourself um, before we? Uh, follow me on social media at Brock Wilbur. Um, if you're in the Midwest, I'm the editor in chief of the pitch in Kansas city, KC's alt weekly. Uh, you can find all of our work at the or if you're in the area, one of the 60,000 big glossy magazines in the big red boxes around town. So, um, yeah, thank you guys for 
inviting me to take part in your silly little vampire games. Uh, this was a really fun thing to do. Thanks for having me. Yeah, hey, man, it was you. our pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Rock and roll.